Chicago now. Yes, I am finally back at home base. All right, base for me. I for a second I just kind of assumed you just moved to Ohio. Yeah, no, it was uh, it's kind of a crazy. I'd say however many hours, but I don't know how many hours in a week and change. Um, basically, my boss in Chicago, my boss's boss in Chicago is from Cleveland. He's got a second home in uh, Tremont. Or, uh, oh me. shit! Yeah, and it's awesome. He's like, "Hey, you ever need a place? That house is vacant all the time." I'm like, <laughs> "Actually, I do." That sounds awesome. Went to a wedding, a second wedding. Shout out James. Shout out Allie. Um, in St. Louis, that me and Kate went to, and then I flew out, and I was in the wedding. I flew out 6:30 a.m. from whatever St. Louis's airport was. Uh, to Dulles for the layover to oh, God. Cleveland. And dude, it was like nonstop early on. And I like walked in to watch the game uh, with my parents. Uh, this is week I, two. You went to the last two yes, games. Yeah, yeah, this was week two. So this is the, um, God, who did we play? Uh, Houston. Yeah. yeah. Did we have a podcast over the last week? Yeah. Yeah, dude, it was all been a blur. Yeah, it was a great podcast. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. Um, then I got there like at kickoff, and then Browns win. It's emotional. Everything's great. And then I went home. I was gonna shower and go out. I showered, sat down, woke up the next day, and I wasn't even like I wasn't even hammered. I was just exhausted. It was just no sleep till Cleveland. <laughs> Sick. Um, worked from the bosses vacant house which i don't know how i still don't know how kate gave me the green light to just be gone for a week but it was kind oh, of oh awesome. shit that was my next question all right well yeah. that's even, that's yeah shout out kate that's even shout bigger. out kate um we should uh we'll end we're two minutes and we should probably intro the podcast oh yeah then there's a second half of this with a rant there's a rant coming welcome back to the dogs of war podcast Raleigh has just been telling us his story about his last, I think he's been in Cleveland for like two months, but, <laughs> and this is Kevin. Welcome back. We just defeated the Chicago Bears. We're going to get into all of that, but you have a rant? Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a rant. First right. up, uh, new listeners, Kevin and I actually live in Chicago. Um, old listeners, you know what's up. So this win, this was big for us. We have a lot of coworkers. They all know we're Browns fans. They're cool dudes for the I most talked part. a lot of shit I I've been just layering it on the last few weeks so this was very good also I you know we root for fields I want him to be Big above time. average but I also like don't want like another Mahomes not that <laughs> he's gonna you know what I mean it's like dude there's enough great quarterbacks in the league that we just don't need another one to compete with but this was pretty this was pretty big for the franchise for us particularly for 
you know, bragging rights, coworkers. Yeah, but most importantly, us. Yes, most importantly, us. That's what why we, you guys are here. But what are we ranting about? These okay, here's what we're ranting about. And this is a bad rant. Like, this is kind of heavy. That state, First Energy Stadium, that atmosphere is not what it's portrayed to be. People think that the dog pound is like a rowdy place to watch the games. I think it was in the 80s, which there might have been a degree of psycho at that point, And they've toned it down too much. Like, do, people do not, like, get on their feet and scream when they're supposed to. And they're kind of loud when they're not supposed to be. Uh, as far as I'm still kind of understanding this concept. So I haven't, like, come up with all of the solutions yet. But that's going to be a quest. So buckle up for a quest, guys, as we figure it out. Dude, they try to get the players to, like, or they have those videos of the players, like Garrett saying, stand up, dog pound, stand up, to, when they're on defense. Yeah. And nobody stands up. And I heard that once I started talking about it to people I came across that were the more passionate type, they're like, oh, it's brutal because you want to stand up. You want to get loud, but then you feel bad for the people sitting behind you. So they either sit down or do what I did, which was kind of like stand up, see if I can get people to stand up. Then you kind of hunch over. And so if you are friends with somebody that has a season tickets and you know that their asses don't stand up when you're supposed to stand up and get loud when you're supposed to get loud, you need to pressure them to do better. Is this just in the dog pound or just the whole stadium? This is the not, whole stadium. I've so, not been to first energy yet this year. I, okay. I, so I'm not, I, I am not disagreeing with you. You've been there. I haven't yet. So I'm just, just going to ask questions to get you get both sides here. Yeah. So game one, you sat uh, in the dog pound week one or week yeah. two, I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and this is kind of a funny side story, unrelated. <laughs> so me and Kevin, we watch the games at the field house and um, the one in Wrigley, whatever, oh, two Browns bars, the field house, special place in our hearts. It's just the perfect dive. One of the ga- guys um, we watch with is David Hayes, him and his dad. <laughs> they listen to the <laughs> podcast. It's funny, awesome people. Me and, David have watched more Browns losses at the field house than pretty much anyone. And lo and behold, he's in town with his family and they're sitting directly behind us. It was awesome. That is so pretty sh- funny. Shout out Hayes family. Shout out Mr. Hayes. So, it- all right. So, so the dog pound was, and still is known, you know, from eighties, nineties, seventies, forever. It's just being as well, not that far back, but it's just this rabid, crazy it's the muni lot but not in the muni lot okay so i'll say that the dog pound was i'm just setting the louder table. Yeah, yeah yeah correct correct and i want to call a fair game because there was plenty of time where we were standing in the hazes they're standing up they're jacked <laughs> up but we're also in like the last row so there's a wall behind us but the whole section it's like there was a goal line stand where the browns were on defense and i think we got them to third down or something and it's like dude this is what Stefanski literally said to get out here early for get jacked up and it's like just stand up yell be excited like I'm out of shape and I can do this I can get jacked up and I don't know I feel like it's if everyone does it it probably helps burn calories like we can tackle obesity and having a threatening stadium atmosphere when I say threatening stadium atmosphere like a competitive stadium atmosphere because we were both in arrowhead that was the loudest stadium i've ever been to 
And hey, they stand up. We stood up the whole game. Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I've been to a lot of Buckeye games in the Horseshoe. Grand. I haven't been to one for years. I'm pretty sure Arrowhead was louder than the shoe. And I don't know, but they need to figure it out. And I don't know if it's people are just hammered and not caring at that point. And it's like, dude, just just care on defense at least. Sit I want to see. Offense. I want. I, it's a problem. I haven't been there yet, but if you're saying that if it's not loud enough, then that's a problem. And the, maybe the fact that Stefanski said that before last week's game, like, hey, you guys brought it for Houston, but you got to bring it more. He shouldn't have to say bring it more. So I'm with you there. Do we wait? Do we give it a few more home games? Wait till people get used to going back to the stadium again. I hate to even have to say that. People should have been running into the dog pound to lose their minds. And also, if you sit in the dog pound and you're getting mad at people for standing up or getting going nuts, get a new seat. That's yeah. I mean, come on. But do we do we call the red alarm now, red alert now, or do we wait a few more home games before we fully assess this is an issue? I think it's I think it's fair to start pulling the red alarm for it. One, just because Stefanski said it. Two, let's say it's a false alarm and we have like this sick campaign, like, well, what did we and and it works semi successfully, and we make people marginally louder. Like that's a competitive advantage. We all want a Super Bowl. Part two, though, it, it was a little bit nicer seats and like the the club level, the three hundred level. Um, and everyone was super nice, but nobody stood up in those seats. Oh, let me ADD here. So here's why I think it's a problem. Twenty nineteen, we were both at the opener. I got told to sit down by security before the opening drive. And that was like a pretty hyped up year. Obviously it was a little bit of a downturn. And the guy was like, you need to sit down. It's like, sir, I have been waiting my entire life for this. He kind of laughed, people laughed, but everyone just kind of kept sitting down except for the dudes I was with. Um, and I don't know if what's causing this. I don't know if the stadium was trying to, you know, correct corrective action, say from the bottle gate days or something along the lines of that. But now they want things to heat up and apparently club or uh, season ticket owners, they get like emails of no fighting. If we see you fighting or flipping the bird, we'll get rid of your seats or something like that, which I'm like, yeah, you can not people that fight in NFL games. They're psychos. I have no tolerance for that. I agree. That doesn't mean, sit down the whole damn game. So when I was kind of paying attention to it a little bit more, this round two, they have like the, those videos of Garrett saying like, stand up, stand, and nobody really does it. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't work. Valid attempt. But at the two minute warning in the first half, Browns have the ball. Everything's kind of quiet. They did one of those, uh, those like games where it shows four cups or four helmets. And like, right, which yeah. helmet is the thing in? And it goes around. It's like, dude, Nobody cares, and maybe we get a little bit jacked up. Here's my solution, and this is not a solution for the whole thing, but a step in the right direction. Show a clip from last week, highlights, whatever. Play Jim Donovan's voiceover. You'll get everyone, like that. opposing fans will get jacked up for it. But, and this is, a, this is a good rant. It was a necessary rant. I do want to give the flip side, though, and say that Miles Garrett – 
I think he said something along the lines of that was one of the greatest things ever when the whole stadium was chanting Miles Garrett. That was sick. That was dope. That was sick. I'm not that does not that does not erase people not standing up when we're on defense. I'm not but that was just a video on Twitter. I got chills. Being there must have been something else. Being there was awesome and so that was awesome. Everyone granted they were doing it while sitting down, but it's like whatever. It's it's still sick. There was Actually, I feel like a tool for saying this just because it's like it was still awesome, but it was uh, not in sync between the different sections chanting, but it's like whatever gets the point across. And that was a incredible performance by him. And shout out to the stadium for that. Doesn't excuse you from sitting down 98% of the game. We got tr- So we're going to go a quick recap of this Bears game. We smoked them 26 to 6. Again, one of the benefits and why we do this podcast Wednesday, Thursday is so that all the hot takes things have already put out there. It was a we demoralized them. Yeah, I, uh, I think and you it was feel a- bad. It was the we've all already heard and read all this stuff. It was the worst game plan maybe ever put into a national football game by the Chicago Bears. They thought Justin Fields was apparently uh, I don't know Peyton Manning or Andy Dalton. They're one of these guys that don't move at all. Um, they didn't protect him. He got sacked nine times. Uh, it was, it got to the point where it was like, oh man, like this is kind of getting hard to watch miles, four and a half sacks record Odell making that catch on third down people erasing. I don't even talk to me about it. There's just chemistry issues anymore. Two random guys playing pickup football. Aren't making that throw and catch together. That was perfect. Obviously it was his first game back. Let's relax. Um, let's just stop there for a sec. Oh, Jay. Okay. Getting to JOK. JOK, I think was he was the highest graded linebacker. I think in that yes. or at least he yeah. is a monster. He is fast. He flies defense. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, in some respects, the Bears' defense, or excuse me, the Bears' offense, they're on a struggle. But the Browns, they did their job. So this upcoming game, uh, Minnesota, they are an offensive scoring team. So hopefully, the Browns can still whatever lessons they learned or whatever energy they brought, keep bringing it. And let's see how we do against the more high octane teams, but bears defense is not bad. No bears defense. Their front seven are, are many or yeah, they, they're all uh, Wyatt Teller uh, called them monsters in his interview this week. Hey, we real quickly found our kicker though. Shout out McLaughlin. Oh, two, dude. Two 50 plus bombs. We haven't had that since Dawson okay, in one game. Lo- the longest one was, uh, was it 57, 58, 57. Uh, when you watch that, I actually haven't even talked to anyone about this that watched it, uh, from the TV when he kicked it, did it look good from where, what you were seeing? No, we thought it was short, dude. I, everyone thought it was short. Okay. I saw him kick that and I'm like, Oh my God, that thing's going to land on the 20 (laughs) yard line. And it just kept going. I'm like, Oh my God, that went in. And then, Every other kick after that, it was just couldn't have been more down the pipe. It was, like, it was we have a kicker now. That 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 may be the biggest win from that game is that confidence instilled in that guy. If he didn't have it before, I mean, from like that, a building. We're gonna block. need that. We're now that we're in, we're a contending team. Knock on wood. Knock finally, on wood. we're gonna need a kicker in situations out of win games. So yes, I agree that it, when we look back, um, you know, obviously Miles had a record breaking game. Played just like an absolute freak. Uh, let's not let's not oversee uh, Javian Clowney played his ass off. Yes, 
Dude, they and all did. Before, uh, my game ball, though, is going to Kareem Hunt. We are at the bar with some Cleveland people watching the game. It was one of the first plays. One of the Chicago defenders got in Kareem's face and said something to him, and Reem just went right at him and was just jawing right back. I looked at my buddy at the bar, and I said, Kareem is about to go off. That was the dumbest thing that defense could have ever done, and holy smokes did he go off. I want to put this out there. For any coach, youth coach, high school coach, middle school, peewee football, any sport, I don't care if you're a Browns fan or not, get a video of Kareem Hunt and how he runs and how angry he is in the game. I've never seen – I can't think of another Cleveland athlete who has put forth a bigger effort, has a bigger motor than that guy does every second he's on the field. I that see. is just some damn good energy. He's the man, and we have so many players right now we cannot take advantage of and just be so thankful we finally have him. I had him on a uh, 2017 2017- – I think 2017 or 2018 uh, fantasy team and started watching him. I'm like, he, he didn't have like the, the rushing record. I don't know if he's ever had the most in the league, but when you watch him run the way he runs, I'm like, I don't care what the stats say. He is just so explosive. Like angry. let's say Chubb puts up twice the numbers or something along the lines of that. The way Chubb does it, it's like a smooth, I don't know. I mean, he's a badass too, but there's something about Kareem. He always like has this like explosive dynamic fight for a couple of extra yards. And it's like Chubb has the most after, what is it? After yard, Chubb's after leading, contact yards. Chubb's leading the lead. Well, going into this game, he was leading the yard with yards after contact. And, that, and, and that's, you know, that's accurate, but I'm like, he's a freak. when Kareem does it, there's something where it's like, well, that's, if I'm making a Hollywood movie, that's like the clip I'm going to show. You know Kareem's what I mean? pure anger when he runs. Even Bake was like, I we kept giving the ball because he was angrier than usual. Um, <laughs> so to recap, to put a bow on that, I know we could spend hours talking about this game. Browns went in there. The Bears have so many things to figure out. Nagy, God knows what's going on with that franchise. We don't have to worry about that shit anymore, thank God. We whipped them 26-6. to We have the Minnesota Vikings this Sunday, and we got to get over to our interview with Ooh. their podcaster now. Real quick question, real quick question while we're on the topic about the stadium getting louder. Um, or whoever was at the game that agrees with us, with me, whatever, make a comment in the uh, reviews. Make it a five-star comment, damn you. And if you have any idea, bring up a sick idea because we're going to start putting together solutions toward this and more eyes on it, the better. So sick comment, sick review. What the hell should we do? to improve that stadium atmosphere. And uh, yeah, maybe somebody on the marketing team will listen and leave a sick review and solution. We can only hope. Now let's head into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, this next interview is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Do you want the best shave you've ever had? Male or female, they got grooming products for everybody. Of course you do. Check them out. Let's go to manscaped.com. Type in promo code FANSIDE20 for free worldwide shipping and 20% off your first order. That's manscaped.com. Use promo code FANSIDE20. Let's get into this next interview. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we now welcome on a very special guest, Arif Hassan, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic and co-hosts the number one Vikings podcast, Norse Code, which is a phenomenal name for a podcast, by the way. 
We'll have all his contact info, his Twitter info in the episode description. Arif, welcome to the Dogs War podcast, and thanks for joining us, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I wish I came up with the Norse code name. It was actually a different Vikings podcast. They were like, hey, if you want to start a podcast, you can just take our name. And I was like, yeah, ab- are you kidding? Absolutely. That yeah, name rules. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, no brainer. <laughs> thanks for having me on, though. No, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And obviously, you work for The Athletic, which doesn't need no introduction there. Norse Code is, again, the number one Vikings podcast. Help us understand what was your path to, one, being a Vikings fan. Are you born or raised there? And two, how did you get into The Athletic and this podcast? Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Um, I actually, I didn't really like football at all when I was in high school. Like, my best friend was the center on the football team, and I just made fun of him all the time. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was like, I was not into it. Uh, and I was like, I was, I'm a super nerd, right? So I was like, I was the captain of the debate team, did debate for four years in, in high school, go to college. They don't have a debate team, so I start one. Like, that's how much of a nerd I am, right? Uh, and so uh, our, the when we end up getting a debate team, you know, we get coaches from – uh, you know, other, other, other colleges, you know, coaching us and stuff like that. And one of them was like, Hey, uh, you know, new rule, anybody on the debate team has to join the fantasy football league. Uh, and I was like, I sure. I, I don't really care. Fine. Whatever. Uh, and then, you know, I get, I, I don't do anything about it. I get an email saying, Hey, you're in our fantasy league. Um, the draft <laughs> is, is, is when it was like, Oh, well now my name is attached to it. I can't, I don't want to lose. I'm not here to lose. So I did like research. I looked, I learned about football. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and like that year, this is my first year. I, I placed third. It was great. The, the next year, I, you know, fell into picking up, you know, Michael Vick off the waiver wire and I ended up winning the league. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm great, right? I think I'm hot shit. Uh, and so, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. I'm holding up a football for dummies book into the camera. Yeah. It's absolutely, that's exactly where it was, right? Um, Does that work, Kevin? I haven't, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't opened yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you just put a bookmark in it. Yeah, no, I, I, that's good. That's good. I like that. Uh, yeah. And so I was like, I, I've decided I love football. It's the 2009 and then 2010 season, obviously the big season. Uh, and so that's when uh, Favre shows up to, to Minnesota. So I was born and raised in North Dakota, lived in Minnesota for most of my life. So I, you know, I'm primed to be a Vikings fan. So I'm watching Vikings games a little bit more often. Uh, but the 2009 Favre season, incredible, right? 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, I, I could not not fall in love with football following the Vikings then, right? These crazy come from behind victories. I mean, Favre is like just an absolutely exciting quarterback, right? And so uh, I, I get like really into it. I, I don't want to make a career out of it or anything. Like I get really into it. Um, I leave college, no degree, decide to work in politics. I, it's awful. I hate working. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm making less than minimum wage. Uh, and it's terrible. So the only thing I really have, you know, in the in the small amount of free time that I have, is, you know, I'm looking at Vikings games. I'm like, God, I don't really like sports media. It's just the, the way they write about stuff. I'm not learning anything. I don't like know anything about it. Or, or they just say stuff and they don't prove it, right? Like I don't know if that's true, right? Like Cam Newton is a winner. I don't know what that means, right? Because he's coming out of Auburn, and it's like the tons of college quarterbacks for winners. Does that matter? <laughs> I didn't know, right? I had no idea. So. I go to a couple of blogs. I try to see if, you know, they've got anything. And I just write something up. I was like, okay, I looked up every college quarterback who ever won the national championship. And I wanted to see if they, you know, ended up being good uh, in the NFL. And, you know, it turns out they're not, right? So I wrote this up. And I was just mad because no one was talking about this. Everyone just kind of took it for granted, right? That Cam Newton was a winner and that was meaningful, right? Uh, and uh, I ended up, I just keep, like, I just got the bug. So I just started writing more for for the Daily Norseman, which was the SB Nation site covering the Vikings. And they're like, hey, you, you write pretty good stuff. Why don't you write for our front page? So I did that. Uh, the Bleach Report was hiring, so I decided to do that. Um, quit my politics job. Not that the Bleach Report was paying me enough to do that. I just, that was separate. 
Uh, but that gave me <laughs> enough time to actually like devote some time to it. So I, I end up working my way uh, kind of up the blogosphere to the point where I'm kind of making a living. I uh, end up getting hired by Zone Coverage to do some stuff. Still working part time, doing a bunch of other stuff to try and make money. You know, on food stamps for a while. Like it's just, it, you know, it's 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 awful, right? But um, I'm, I'm devoting a ton of time to this. And the Athletic, uh, you know, calls around and they're like, "Hey, do you want to write for the Athletic?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'll think about it." Right and in the back of my head, I'm like, "Are you kidding? Of course, right? A full time job? Are you kidding? Absolutely. What? Pay me. This is great." So that I mean, and and that's it, that's just kind of how it is. You know, I grew my Twitter account. People following through my Twitter account. Um, about like around the, the time the Christian Ponder era started, uh, you know, one of my brother's friends contacts me. He's like, Hey, I didn't realize you were into football now. And I was like, I didn't either. So, you know, we're both, we're both learning this information. You want to start a podcast? I'm an audio engineer. So that's how Norse code started, right? Like way back at the beginning of the Christian Ponder era. So it was that plus, you know, the fact that my Twitter following was growing and stuff like that ended up landing me this job at the athletic, absolutely crazy path. I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of of similarities between that and other people that are at the athletic. So let me get this straight. If I'm understanding this correctly, back in 2009, you didn't know fourth down from first down. And from now you have yourself <laughs> 40,000 Twitter followers. Your podcast has what, 10 or 15,000. You're writing for one of the most prestigious names in sports media. Am I, am I following correct? Yeah. I still don't know the difference between fourth down and first down, but the rest you nailed. Yeah. So <laughs> to go from, I mean, and you talk about, working your way up to the top. I hope the youngins out there listening to this one, that's pretty damn impressive, and you're pretty humble. I'd be bragging my ass off right now, but you're pretty humble. So, But congratulations. That's, inc- <laughs> that's an incredible path. I, I appreciate it. I, I mean, honestly, I just I feel like uh, there's just not enough opportunities out there, right? So I feel like the, I got super lucky along the way. I'm never going to deny that. I got crazy privilege, super lucky along the way. Um, tons of people worked just as hard as me, didn't get as far. So I want to get that out there, right? Um it's not just hard work. Sometimes it's luck, but I am super proud of myself. I, I think I deserve to be here. I'm really happy with the work that I've done to get oh, yeah. here. It does take a lot of hard work, but that's, that's, that's not the only part of it. You know, some people sometimes ask me, Hey, how do I get into sports writing? I'm like, be lucky, man. Work hard, uh, learn a lot. Be lucky. Everything you I disagree with that. Everything, <laughs> everything you just described was working multiple jobs, getting on food stamps, debating, like realizing which, me and Kevin, not to pump ourselves or pat ourselves on the back. Sports journalism is obnoxious. Like what you just described about college uh, excuse me, quarterbacks from championship teams, they never produce in the NFL. Personally, I think that's because they've never had to overcome adversity because their teams are always better than the teams they're playing and they're getting drafted by a team that's not good. But everything you said was grinding and determination. So... That was nothing. Nobody handed you anything. You took no, it. No, I, People I, I noticed it. Then they gave I, you the job. You and people it. got to grow with you. People got to grow with you, right? From that, the yeah, start. That's, that's huge, right? That people got to see kind of me grow along with learning about football, right? I learned enough about football to start a Twitter account. And then yeah, my personality, you know, people like to follow that for whatever reason. And then also I'm learning about football. I'm like, hey, you know, I don't, does running actually help with play action? Let's find that out. Let's find that out together. Uh, you know, I talk to people on Twitter about it, post some results. You know, it's, it's, it's a learning, it's a, it's a learning process. It's nice but to that's what nice sports media, sports media needs more Arif Hassan's because you came in and said, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I want to read. And I know a lot of other people like me would want to read. So I'm going to go do it myself. And that's pretty awesome. More. We need more of that out here. I, I appreciate that, man. I, I think that a lot of the people at the athletic shout out to Ted Wynn, by the way, same deal, right? 
like uh, you know, grew, grew up blogging, you know, did stuff for like USA football. He's a coach. He does like defensive line stuff. Um, and, and, and he's like, kind of in it and he reaches out to people all the time. He's like, Hey, I'm a huge film guy. I coach. I know, but I just, I don't know that much about analytics, but I'm super open to it. Let's learn. I, I think running the ball is really important, but all these analytics guys, you know, they don't think it's that important. Let's talk about, you know, why we disagree. So I, I there's a lot of people at the athletic that I really like that kind of do that kind of stuff. So like, I, I will plug the company. I'm a, I'm a shill right now. I'm a subscriber. I'm a subscriber. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For years. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I just I think that that's like an issue in sports journalism is that people will repeat stuff that they've heard and whether or not it makes sense and never really like take the time to like, does it does it work? And sometimes, you know, sometimes the old adages are true, right? Sometimes, you know, you learn that, yeah, it, it does help to have like a quick drop back passing game in the sack rate, right? That, that sure. Fine. That was a truism. We've studied it. It's true. But sometimes it's not. And it's fun to write about. Speaking of running the football, great segue for big on segues here. This upcoming game, Vikings versus Browns, we're going to have two freak backfields going at one another. My first thing, though, is just the Minnesota Vikings in general. Let's start here. You guys are one and two on the season. You guys are really a three and O team in disguise. All right. And I don't know if that's. I don't know what the narrative is up there. That's my opinion because here's what happened for those people that don't know, the Browns fans here. Uh, week one, you lost to the Bengals in OT 27 to 24 because Dalvin Cook fumbled at the 50. Dalvin Cook doesn't fumble the football, okay? Week two, you guys lost 34-33 to Arizona on a missed field goal. And then uh, this past weekend, you guys smoked Seattle 30-17 to without Dalvin Cook. So you guys are one and two, but your two losses came with – a second left on the clock, overtime, or a freak accident by Dalvin. Let's talk about that. Uh, I guess to segue into that, what were your uh, expectations preseason coming into this year? And then where are they now, despite one and two not really being one and two? My expectation is that they'd be like a 10, 7, 9, 8 team. I always have to, I still have to mentally adjust. I hate it. Yep. I hate it it's for awful. that reason. It's, it's, aesthetically, it's awful too. Like 10 and 6 sounds so much better. But uh, yeah, I think they're like a 10, 7, 9, 8 team or something like that heading into the season. Um, the Bengals, you know, I think they were better than I expected. You know, Jamar Chase, like being as good as he was right out the gate after the preseason he had, I think was kind of a pleasant surprise for a lot of people. Um, I, I would say in that game, the Vikings were were better by a lot of metrics. So if you take a look at kind of the analytics of it, right, you, you take a look at expected points or whatever, they're more efficient. They move the ball better. They stopped the they stopped the Bengals from moving the ball very, uh, pretty well. It was just they racked up 116 penalty yards, right, which is part of the game. It's part of who you are. They, it's not as if the Vikings didn't deserve to have to head into overtime. They did because they committed those penalties. But when it comes to trying to evaluate how good that team is going forward, I've covered Zimmer for a long time. I know that if those penalty problems, you know, crop up, that they probably won't crop up going forward. And lo and behold, they haven't yet, right? So I know that the Vikings may have deserved to head into overtime, and maybe they deserve to have an opportunity to lose. I don't know if it was from a Dalvin Cook fumble, but, you know, Evan McPherson makes a kick, the Vikings don't, right? It, they, they could have lost that game either way, right? So that's fine. But going forward, I saw a quality team. After they lose to Arizona, Kyler Murray puts together, like, just some insane plays, right? Um... I, I write a piece. I'm like, hey, the Vikings actually, you know, I think they could still make the playoffs, right? 0-2 teams uh, make the playoffs in a 14-game playoff format like 11% of the time. And I was like, but that's not the Vikings, right? Because those 0-2 teams include teams, you know, like the Texans and the Jets, right? Like you include some of these bad 0-2 teams and some of these 0-2 teams that lose games that are really close. So, you know, I was like, you know, the Vikings are probably not going to make the playoffs, even if they're a good team, just because 
two games is a difficult hole to get out of. But I think they're a good team. Uh, I got a lot of blowback on it because a loss is a loss. It, you know, if, if those two things don't happen, if Greg just makes a kick, if Devin Cook doesn't fumble, you know, the Vikings are 2-0 heading into the final game or heading into the Seahawks game, and people are super optimistic, right? Two plays changes the mood entirely. But people didn't like it, so they thought that the Vikings were a losing team. They wanted to fire Zimmer. I thought it was a good team. So, uh, you know, they they I predicted a, a win against the Seahawks. They do win against the Seahawks um, in a pretty resounding fashion, multiple scores. Uh, and, and this team has, I think, a fair amount of quality. And I think that the thing is, offensively, they're not doing anything that they're historically very good at besides running the ball. Obviously, they do that a lot. But they're not, they're not doing play action very much. They're a play action team, right? Uh, they're, not, they're not throwing it deep very often. Kirk Cousins left to throw it deep. He was like fifth in, in deep ball percentage last year and, and, and two years ago. Like He's a good deep ball thrower. He's throwing it short. He's creating yards after the catch. Those yards after the catch are kind of defining what they do. Um, that's not how they've played in the past. And Kirk Cousins is good at both of those things. So I think that kind of going forward, there's a lot of room for that offense to be even better. And right now the offense is like sixth, seventh, eighth best in the league, the huge difference between number one and, and six, right? So it's not really, they're closer to 16 than they are to one, but it's a really good offense right now. And the defense, uh, figured some stuff out against Seattle, which was nice to see. Um, there are, there are some issues on the back end of that defense, but the pressure that they're able to create has done a lot to cover things up. So they're a pretty good team. Um, they were really close to undefeated. Like you said, uh, I would say that overall, I, you know, ranking them in the NFC, I wouldn't put them in the top three NFC teams or anything like that, but you know, they, they can, you know, cause a ruckus. They could be dangerous to some teams. No one in Cleveland is sleeping on this team. I'll tell you that. Reef. Um, we were just talking before, uh, when me and Kevin were recording before this, about the home field advantage or the atmosphere of a stadium. Uh, I think the, uh, what is it, U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, One, what's that clap called that you guys do? The skull chant, yeah. The skull chant. That's one of the coolest things in the NFL. Uh, Can you describe that stadium, I guess? Does it give you that competitive edge? Does it get things jacked up appropriately, like, when you're on defense as opposed to offense, give us the rundown. Just yeah, no, absolutely. The, like the Vikings, I think, when there's fans in the stands, so not including last year, but mm-hmm. um, the two years prior, I mean, the Vikings were something like uh, you know fourteen and two or, or thirteen and three at home. Like it's they're they're really good at home, and part of sometimes they were part of good teams, sometimes they're not, right? Because uh, um, you know every other year they, they seem to be you know a little bit more dangerous than the others. So that that includes a winning season and an average season. They're still you know thirteen three fourteen two or something like that at home. Um, it, it's, it's electric, right? I, you know, I've been to a lot of stadiums. I think the chiefs, you know, uh, stadium at home, that's an incredible atmosphere. I think the Seattle stadium atmosphere is incredible. I was at the, the saints playoff game, incredible atmosphere. I put that up there, right? I, I don't know that it necessarily gets, uh, as loud as the Chiefs stadium, which is an impressive accomplishment. They're an open air stadium for them to get that loud is, is wild to me, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the loudest stadium in the NFL, but in terms of its ability to kind of impact play, impact players, bring electricity onto the field, I'd, I'd put it up there. It's 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 incredible. And the school chant, when it's executed well, when they first started doing the school chant, because right, they took it from like an Icelandic soccer team, which is, <laughs> I think, a super cool origin story, honestly. <laughs> um, when they started, they were like off. It's like it was like minnesota white people so off rhythm nobody had it (laughs) (laughs) the the claps were kind of rippling through but they figured it out right they figured it out and and everybody's doing it kind of in rhythm they've got drums in the stadium 
um, it's like it can be kind of chilling. Um, in fact, I think Justin Jefferson didn't play in front of fans in, a, in front of a home field until you know last week against Seattle, right? And and he was awed by the like because he had never experienced it, right. He was awed by the the home atmosphere of seeing all these people, you know, wanting to see him do well. You know, like like all of the second year players had the exact same experience as the rookies when it came to this and. They couldn't stop talking about like after the game. It was the first thing Justin Jefferson brought up, even though he's already had a year in the NFL. So it, it has a really big impact on, uh, on on the way that teams operate in there. Speaking of electric, you brought up Favre's stats a little earlier, um, touchdowns and interceptions. This guy, Kirk Cousins, is being pretty electric so far this season. Let's check it out. He has thrown for 300 or more yards in three straight games, which is the entire season so far. He has eight touchdown passes with no interceptions. There's one stat I saw earlier. There are only two quarterbacks in the league that have uh, a grade of 80 or higher PFF score all three weeks, and that is Kirk Cousins and Tom Brady. Tell us about this dude. I've, he's something different every year. I, I, I swear there's always something different going on with him. Hell of a start. Right now already in the MVP conversation. Tell us about Mr. Cousins. Yeah, no, he's he's a really great quarterback when things uh, are in rhythm, right, that he's got the ability to drop back hit off his back foot, find his first read, get rid of the ball. And the receivers are good enough that they'll generally be open in those situations. Um, I think kind of the most interesting version of this stat is that he's now had 17 consecutive games with a passer rating of 90 or more. Um, that's the second longest streak in the history of the NFL. Peyton Manning is number one at 20, 23 such games. Um, there's still like five more games to go and catch up to Manning. But uh, it, it's pretty wild. Um, I would say that we're still not kind of seeing, we're seeing some elements of Cousins that we haven't seen before that it's really nice to see his ability to kind of improvise and respond to pressure. We don't see that a lot historically with cousins. We thought I saw, I thought we saw some pretty good elements of that, both against the Cardinals and against the Seahawks, his ability to kind of move around in the pocket, improvise, find, you know, kind of uh, scramble drill receivers, still kind of working on the chemistry a little bit. There was a, a drop by Justin Jefferson, for example, uh, against the Seahawks that um, was just, you know, they didn't, they weren't on the same page on the scramble drills. So there's still some opportunities there, but he's doing a lot better job using his legs to find room or gaining yards. I mean, he's not known as a running quarterback and, you know, it's not like they had him run a read option on Sunday. And I was like, I, I don't know about this. This is not, he's no Daniel Jones, right? Like, I don't know about this, uh, but you know, he's quick enough that, you know, if there's space, especially if there's man coverage, you know, running a bunch of clear out routes that he can get the first down. Uh, and that's not something he did in like 2018, 2019. So it's been nice to see um, that stuff where he's been able to kind of hit uh, his first read. It's kind of a, a different cousins because he's got one of the quickest times to throw in the NFL right now. Last year, two years ago, he had actually one of the slowest times to throw, usually because you know he's on play action, right? Those plays take a long time to develop. Um, but he's doing a lot of stuff that we're not used to seeing. Like I said, a bunch of quick hitting, shorter passes, really efficient, really high completion rate, really accurate, letting those really talented yards after catch receivers do a ton of work. Um, like I said, there's a lot more room to grow. There's also Cousins is also streaky. So that you, you do have to be kind of careful because last year Cousins started off with like four pretty bad games. Uh, and then he had a great October, pretty good November, especially I think it was against Green Bay. He had a really phenomenal performance. Uh, and then he just kind of petered off near the end of the season. And that happened uh, in, in 2019 as well, whereas like November was just phenomenal. Uh, and his December was whatever, September was whatever. Um, so that's something to kind of keep in mind is that he's got this great start of the season so far. But I, I've seen Cousins have really great months. He was like the NFC player of the month uh, in October, like last year or something like that. Like I've seen him have really tremendous months and I've seen him fall off of that. 
Um, we haven't seen him deal with a ton of pressure. Some of that's because of him, right? Because he's been able to get rid of the ball quickly. So that's nice to see. But sometimes that's not going to happen. Sometimes it's not going to be available. Your first read is not going to be there. Uh, and how he responds to pressure has been kind of one of the biggest criticisms that he's had in his career. So I'm kind of excited to see what that's going to look like for him as he goes up against somebody like Miles Garrett, right? Um, and also, you know, obviously worried, right? Because if if he's not historically been kind of an improvisational guy, deals well with pressure or blitzes, then when's he going to come back down to earth? So he's playing pretty well. He's playing in rhythm. He's finding his reads. I haven't bought in that this is who we have for the whole season yet. I don't know much about your offensive line yet. I know more about your defensive line, just for my, my pre-show homework. But I do know, and I can't guarantee, the Vikings O-line is a hell of a lot better than the Bears O-line. So you should be less <laughs> yeah. scared of Miles and Jadavian Clowney than the, the Bears, fans, Bears fans were. So Dalvin Cook did not play last week. So his backup, Alexander Madison, came in and played lights out, touchdown with over 100 yards, I think. Is Dalvin Cook playing this week? And can you talk about that? You guys got your own little two-headed monster up there. I'm not saying little because Dalvin Cook's one of the best in the league, but that backup's nothing to, to slouch at either. Yeah, I think what was it Matt Waldman said that um, Alexander Madison's the best backup running back in the NFL, but only because Kareem Hunt's not a backup, right? Like I think is, is the way he put <laughs> okay, it, I like right? That. I like that. <laughs> so I was about uh, to can... say, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that's kind of a fair way to put it because when Dalvin Cook is healthy, he'll take twenty-five touches, right? Madison mm-hmm. touches the ball four or five times. I'd like to see them increase Madison's touch share. Um, I've thought that kind of before this game, you know, he had, last year he had 112 yards rushing against Seattle. So uh, it's not as if he hasn't had these games in his career where he's played pretty well. Um, but, you know, Dalvin Cook is Dalvin Cook. You know, Madison had one run of over 15 yards. Given the same opportunities, I, I'd expect Dalvin Cook to have three of them and take them even further. I mean, he's got 40, 60, 70 yard touchdowns on his resume. That's who he is. And so he can turn these big plays into enormous plays, right? So, um, you know, there's no question that, you know, when both are healthy, Cook is going to get, you know, the lion's share of the carries. Um, but I would like to see them kind of spell Dalvin Cook and put Alexander Madison on there more. And like and you said that, right, uh, you wouldn't expect Dalvin Cook to fumble. Alexander Madison has much better hands and much better ball security both as a, a runner and as a receiver. So there are instances where I think in critical situations, you might actually prefer to have the guy who's less explosive out there. Um, and so I would like to see them mix Alexander Madison in a little bit more just to keep Dalvin Cook healthy and so that you can get to kind of see what Alexander Madison could do because you're right, he can do a lot. Um, as for whether or not he'll play, I expect Dalvin Cook will play. Um, he was basically a game-time decision uh, against Seattle. So he was close to, to being ready to play. Mind you, he didn't practice all week, so it's not as if, you know, he was, he was just like this close, he was a limited participant. He didn't practice at all last week, but they did expect him to be able to play. That morning, Zimmer received a text. Sunday morning, Zimmer received a text saying that Dalvin Cook would not be able to go. So, um, which I think Alexander Madison actually learned the night before, because, you know, he knows Dalvin Cook, right? So he, he was kind of ready. But um, I, I would expect the Dalvin Cook uh, to be able to play after another uh, week of recovery for this game. So not just on the ground, but some of these receivers you guys have are no no jokes in their own right. Um, I want to talk about Adam Thielen already has four touchdowns on the year. That's incredible. And then that throw, I know obviously this is – we're speaking here, not showing a video of it. That throw that Cousins made pro? to K.J. Osborne. Yeah. As he was getting <laughs> smoked. That, that's, not a, that's not a freak accident. Like that's two very talented guys – no, we're just talking about how Baker threw one to OBJ for a third down uh, on Sunday. That's some chemistry right there. So between Thielen and Osborne, who else besides that 
running back, two-headed monster, or we should be looking for to make some plays. Yeah, of course, there's Justin Jefferson too, right? He had like 1,400 oh, yards. Yeah, plus. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's it's it's a really interesting group because the Vikings haven't had a third wide receiver in forever. They've been looking for a wide receiver three to pair with their talented duo, whether it was Thielen and Diggs or Thielen and Jefferson. They just haven't had a wide receiver three. Osborne is a second year player who did not have a single offensive snap in year one. He was all special teams, and it wasn't really good special teams do like muffing punts and stuff like that um but you know a, a year in the system a year to gain confidence and he looks really good as a third receiver um it, it osborne's interesting because he was like the second receiver in buffalo to like anthony johnson back when um buffalo had that other like really tall uh giant armed quarterback uh, i forget his name but he was a backup to josh allen i thought it was perfect um but uh but uh, Anthony Johnson was the receiver uh, that that kind of outsnapped Osborne. Osborne transfers to Miami. He's the leading receiver at Miami, but it doesn't mean much. It's like 500 yards, um, you know, because I think it was like Brad Kaya was throwing to him. It wasn't it wasn't beautiful. Um, so we didn't really know kind of what kind of receiver Osborne was, and the Vikings really didn't either um, because they kind of drafted him to be a returner, and they just they didn't see very much out of him that rookie year. So this year, seeing him come to his own, he had a great. Uh, spring session. He had great OTAs. He had a great training camp. He just kind of carried that throughout, earned the third receiver job, even though they signed D.D. Westbrook to essentially be the third receiver. They drafted Amir Smith-Marset to kind of compete for that job as well. And he kind of rose above that. And he's taking basically all the, the three wide receiver snaps. Um, and he does a lot of what Adam Thielen does. And, and by that, I, I don't just mean like he's obviously not as good a route runner as Thielen, but uh, the kind of the, the thing that Thielen does really well is that he doesn't give a shit like that's it's like that's his superpower uh so he'll um he'll like crack block a linebacker in the box on a running play just because that's what he does he's like jarvis uh, he's like our jarvis yeah, yeah yeah there you go yeah i don't yeah. know that he's as mean as jarvis but yeah i think <laughs> i think that that's fair yeah um but yeah like he'll he'll do whatever right i think actually that, that's really good and, and then kj osborne is being asked to do the same th- stuff and he relishes it right uh they're having a motion behind the backfield to move kind of defenses around they're they're doing all kinds of stuff with osborne and they're having them run a lot of the same routes that jefferson and thielen do so they really like the kind of replaceability aspect of having three receivers that can play all three receiver positions um obviously justin jefferson really fantastic rookie year he can play on the outside really well the two of them adam thielen and justin jefferson have some of the best releases off the line of scrimmage in the NFL, like obviously there's a bunch of other receivers that are good at a bunch of other stuff, right? But in terms of release off the line of scrimmage, it's like Devonte Adams, Adam Thielen, uh, maybe Justin Jefferson could be three or four, right? Um, incredible coming off the line of scrimmage, avoiding press coverage, avoiding those cornerbacks and being able to kind of uh, hurt them up in the route. Um, they've got great route running skills, especially Thielen, but Jefferson's got really like great intuition and fluidity um, to find that space, really great against man coverage, especially um, they all have really great hands. Uh, Jefferson's struggling with that a little bit this year. He's already had three or four drops on the season, which is exactly how many drops he had for like the entire season last year. So we kind of expect that to get cleaned up, but he's still at over 100 yards uh, last game. So those drops aren't hurting him too much. But, you know, they can be big play machines. They haven't been this year because Cousins hasn't been throwing it deep all that much, but they have been huge deep ball. Adam Thielen runs like a 4-4-2 or something like that. Uh, Justin Jefferson runs kind of a 4-4-5, but they play as deep ball receivers as if they run 4-3 because they're such good deep ball route runners that they've got the ability to kind of get open. And then KJ Osborne legitimately is like a 4-3 guy. So 
Um, they can do most of the things that you would ask a receiver to do. And Adam Thielen's actually one of the better contested catch uh, guys in the NFL too. Like you think like, you know, contested catch guys, you think like Brandon Marshall types, but like number one is like Tyreek Hill. Number two, Stephon Diggs. Number three is Adam Thielen. It's kind of weird. Um, but Adam Thielen is up there in terms of his ability to kind of win these contested catches. So that's a big part of it too. Quick question on uh, a Jefferson. And this is a, this is a stats question. You said you're a stats guy. I have no idea what the answer is to this, but as far as first round draft, receivers go he's got to be one of the have had the best rookie years granted he's in his sophomore year now but of any first round receiver for the past five years has anybody if if you do it per game odell beckham beats him out right that was Um, 2014 i said five right yeah yeah right (laughs) of the past five years yeah i know for sure right because uh uh, otherwise because like 2014 was a great year for for rookie receivers yeah like mike evans great year for everyone we got johnny manziel and Oh, Gilbert beautiful year, beautiful yeah. year. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, but yeah, going back to 2016, right? Like, um, like 2016, like Laquan Treadwell, right? Like that was not phenomenal. <laughs> Corey Coleman. Yeah. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Dude. Can we got? Can we not go back? I got. I can't. Some of these names. Yeah, are hey, it's in the past. It's in the past. But I'm just saying. I've always thought. Yeah, that I, I can't picking think it in a, the first when you yeah. bet on the first round uh, draft pick or your team's first pick, and you bet on receiver. I'm like, well, over the past. However many years, those are a lot of misses. But yeah, I guess especially you guys for hit. rookie production, yeah, exactly. like sometimes these guys turn out second, third year. Rookie production, it's been hard to find outside of like 2014. Um, and Jefferson, and Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> but guys. yeah, it's it's like yeah, he. I mean, he's been one of the best first round receivers uh, from a statistical production standpoint, and a lot of other production standpoints, right? Um, it ever. Right, like he's he's not as good as like Randy Moss's rookie year or Calvin Johnson's rookie year, but I mean he's in the conversation and that's not bad. <laughs> so I there's a lot to talk about about your offense. I know we got a few minutes left with you here, so I just want to flip it over real quick. The big names on the defensive side for the Vikings: Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith. Who else should we be looking out for? What are some of the bigger headlines or stories on the other side of the ball for the Vikings this year? Uh, it's Daniel Hunter. Daniel Hunter, I think, is the best player in that defense. Um, he had, uh, which, you know, saying a lot because I think Eric Hendricks is number two, right? We didn't even get to Peterson or, or Smith. Um, th- that's going to be interesting because the Browns are the best offensive line in the NFL, right? Um, Jack Conklin is going to be lining up against Neil Hunter a lot. He had a really phenomenal year last year. So, um, it's going to be interesting to figure out how the Vikings uh, try to create pressure because they got a bunch of great pressure packages. We'll see if Anthony Barr is ready to play. He's a part of that. But, um, Hunter is, is fantastic. He does a really great job generating pressure, especially kind of, midway through the play like he doesn't always win immediately off the snap but his counter moves and his athleticism are just so on point that he finds a way to get in the back he'll deal like seven pressures last game even though he didn't get a sack he's got four sacks on the season but eric hendricks is one of the best linebackers in the nfl had a couple of missed tackles weeks one and two but last year um was, what was it, like pff's like top three linebacker and that was also true the year prior to that i mean he's really great in coverage he's pretty good in the run game he does a great job reading the blocks um but yeah i mean that defensive line is really interesting because it's a bunch of run defenders plus daniel hunter um michael pierce is playing lights out he's playing out of his mind i know browns fans are a little bit familiar with him because of his time with the ravens but he's much more of a pass rusher now than i mean he's 260 pounds why would you think he's a pass rusher but he's been a bit of a pass rusher for the vikings been able to create pressure up the middle a lot of quarterbacks hate having that pressure up the middle. And so he's been really you know, great in that effort. Um, the missed tackling is a huge problem throughout the defense. Nick Vigil, I mentioned Kendricks a little bit, Bashad, Breland, Xavier Woods, Bell been missing tackles. And so the defensive line is doing a 
pretty decent job blocking up the run, but then these running backs are getting free and you're getting a bunch of missed tackles. So um, that's something they're going to have to watch out against. Obviously the Browns having uh, that remarkable rushing attack, but um, I think the defensive line is doing a good job. I think Eric Hendricks is the star of the middle. Harrison Smith's playing well, but he's not playing like he did in 2017, 2018 when he was just this insanely good safety. Patrick Peterson's playing all right. I wouldn't say that he plays up to his name, but I wouldn't say that he's playing like a washed up player either, if that helps. Uh, what do you fear the most <laughs> from the Browns and uh, for the Vikings counter, Vikings defense, Browns offense? Uh, shenanigans? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I was trying to think of how to answer that or ask that professionally, but. Well, I, I just think that like um, when when you've got, a, and they did a pretty reasonable job against Russell Wilson, but when you've got a quarterback that's got the ability to kind of extend plays a little bit, the back end can break down, right? Because the Vikings defense right now, its strength is in that pass rush. Going up against an offensive line like that, it's going to be tough to be able to leverage that strength. And so now you're asking the secondary that has had some struggles with Patrick Peterson, with Xavier Woods, with Bashad Breland, asking the secondary to hold up three, four seconds. That's how they got beaten by Kyler. Um, it's because he was able to extend some plays and people got open. Um, like DeAndre Hopkins put Patrick Peterson through a clinic, right? Which you'd expect at the respective stage in their careers. But if you've got a quarterback that can extend plays, like if Odell Beckham is, you know, healthy, and it seems like he is, right? If Odell Beckham is healthy, I don't know that any of that secondary is going to be able to kind of keep up with him over the course of like a seven-second play. So my issue or my concern is if they can't close in on a sack and Baker scrambles a little bit and extends the play, I don't know that they'll be able to kind of hold up in coverage long enough to prevent some of those deep shots. Especially, God, the way Donovan Peoples-Jones is playing? Jesus. Yeah. Big preseason, couple questionable first couple of weeks, but we're hoping he's going to come back around here in the next couple of games. But his his ceiling is... Very, very high. Um, I got one more, one more question before we do predictions. Unless Raleigh wants to throw something into, have we have we not talked about the jawline? That's what I'm saying. Is we're going to get in big trouble if we don't bring this up. We're the biggest pro Stefanski podcast group there is on the planet. Can you just talk real quick about he was there for what twelve hundred years, yeah, 12, 13 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So him yeah. and Case Keenum come back for a little homecoming. What is the Stefanski reputation kind of legacy up there? Because I know he's not, he wasn't the head coach. And I don't know teams aren't like, you know, t- totally intertwined with their assistant coaches and whatnot. But what, what, what was, you know, what did he mean to Vikings up there? What is his reputation legacy with you guys? I mean, the Vikings love him. I mean, he was able to go through like three different coaching changes. Like how many coaches can go through head coaching changes like that? So the people in the building absolutely loved him. Um, you know, and they, he, lo- they he, love looking at him too, I bet. Oh yeah. I mean, he's super handsome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, he's a, I mean, he started out as like a quality control, like ba- ba- like the very basic steps, right? A quality control assistant, offensive assistant, um, you know, assistant, like tight ends, coaches, something. He coached every position, but the offensive line. Right. Um, and his movement up was kind of, uh, w- w- everyone kind of had figured it out by the time he became a, a quarterback's coach that this was going to be kind of the next um guy in line and then everyone was really surprised when the vikings decided to hire john DiFilippo to be the offensive coordinator that cratered right that, that didn't work out very well at all uh and then stefanski became the offensive coordinator the year after that uh, maybe a year early and it was kind of interesting because the vikings blocked pat Shermer when he became the offensive or the head coach at new york from hiring stefanski to be the offensive coordinator uh and uh my understanding is that stefanski did not love that because he didn't get the offensive coordinator job in minnesota either at the time but he was able to kind of parlay um, you know, a, a playoff appearance with Cousins into a head coaching job. Um, and there was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there's talk at the time uh, of that of that very playoff run that the Vikings were considering firing Mike Zimmer and having Stefanski uh, become their head coach. But then they won the playoff game against the Saints, and you're probably not going to fire, unless you're the Titans, you're probably not going to fire a head coach after winning a playoff game. 
I guess the Chargers did it too, um, way back when. But um, yeah, so they were just like, okay, fine, we're not going to do it. And you can't block a guy from interviewing for a head coach job. So he does that in Cleveland and gets the job. I'm super well respected. The myth making here among Vikings fans has grown retroactively because I don't think a lot of people knew who he was before he was the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. But uh, by, but his success in Cleveland has made people retroactively like remember how much promise he had. Um, I love talking to him. Back when he was like the tight ends coach or the assistant quarterbacks coach, I yeah, I love talking to him. He was super open. He gave you all kinds of great tidbits and information about football, about the players or whatever. He's clammed up since then. He's a head coach, so he's not going to give you as much. But um, super personable, super sm- – holy crap, super smart. I don't know if that ever came across when people were covering him when he was in Minnesota. Ivy League. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, when like Princeton, I think, right? Um, no. Yeah, like – Brown. Brown. Yale? That's worth looking up. Um, oh, after but, all the talk we do about that man, we don't even know where he went to college. Yeah. Princeton. Oh, no. Use pen. Use pen. Pen, 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 pen. We knew it. Just kidding, you guys. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Sorry, obviously coach. super hard worker, super smart. Um, his reputation in the building was stellar. That reputation didn't really leak out uh, of the building and become part of the way that people talked about the Vikings or about Stefanski until he actually uh, had was going to become the offensive coordinator for the Giants before the Vikings blocked it. And then kind of steam built up about, you know, how much people loved him in the building and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it got to the point where there were rumors, you know, I can't like confirm or deny, but there were rumors that the Vikings were going to fire Zimmer and make Stefanski the head coach. Like that's how much people in the building like Stefanski. Well, it all worked out for a reason. Mostly for, <laughs> well, for some people. <laughs> Sorry, uh, no this has been awesome um i know we gotta let you get back to your your regularly scheduled life and we're way over our limit here um uh, raleigh should we do predictions uh yeah why don't you go ahead brief yeah, yeah sure uh what vikings are like 1.2 point favorites or something like that um i'll take it home field advantage um the vikings defense is getting a little bit better every week so um and a two two team is much more fun to cover than a than a one and three team so i'll just say the vikings win uh and i'll say um uh, a lower scoring game than Seattle. So like a 27, 24 close game. I'm going to take something similar, but I'm going to go Browns 21, 17. I think it's going to be a shootout. I don't think it's going to be high scoring and this is going to be one. It's going to be can on the ground. It's which one of these two headed monsters is going to have a better game. Uh, I think our offensive line is going to make a lot of adjustments since last week. And it looks like the defense is kind of figuring it out. Um, I'm going Browns 37, Vikings 8. <laughs> Arif, no, you got to – this is – we have had the Ravens uh, Ravens podcast on last year, and Raleigh predicted like 72 to 3. So it's always That's good. Fantastic. My favorite part is seeing our guest's reaction to his prediction, yeah. but he means it. He means we gotta, it. We got to stop revealing the joke after I do it. Like we tell him. <laughs> as long as they know. They don't know it before, though. They know it right after. So there's still a shock when they hear it. Um, Arif, your podcast – it can be fun on all platforms. Yeah, absolutely. In Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. Norse code. <laughs> it's a, it's like, when does somebody ever say no? Just, just hey, there, there are some podcasts that, like, I think with the Joe Rogan podcast, you can only find on Spotify now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's. <laughs> we're as big as that. So, yeah. We all are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Arif, on. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for letting us keep you a little longer as well. One more time, Arif covers the Minnesota Vikings for the Athletic, co-hosts the Norse Code podcast. We'll have all his Twitter info in the episode description. Thank you very much again, sir. Best of luck on Sunday. 
for Arif, for Raleigh, for myself. This is Dogs War Podcast, and good night, Cleveland.